1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will begin reading momentarily here in verse 6. And I've got to tell you in what may very well be a surprise to you this morning, we are actually going to wrap up chapter 2 today and start looking ahead in the weeks to come into chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians in our series that we call The Church's Holiness, Calling, and The Challenge. Now, I know it may be a surprise because we got through chapter 2 rather quickly when you compare it to how long we spent in chapter 1. So I want to say that to now say this to you, prepare yourselves because some chapters we're going to move through much quicker than others. And at the same time, there's going to be other chapters that we may need to pause and and spend a little more time seeking to understand Paul and his word to the Corinthian Christians and, and seeking to understand the word that God has for us as well. So just be mindful of that. Now, before we get into our text this morning, I want to ask you uh, a very simple question this morning, something for you to think about, and that is this. What uh, value do you place on wisdom? Now, I want you to think about that in light of the text that Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians today, and I want you to think about it in in light of a, a simple definition of the word wisdom, if you would. You see, if we were to define wisdom today, or we allowed culture to define wisdom for us, they would probably define it this way. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Wisdom is the soundness of an action or a decision with regard to the application of experience knowledge, and good judgment. You see, I think with this definition, I think it's safe to argue that we place a high value on wisdom itself. I mean, stop and think about your own lives at this moment. I'd imagine that many of us, if not all of us, at some point in our lives have gone to visit a doctor. I'm sure many of us have a general practitioner that we like to go see. Now, we go to them because we hope that they can now diagnose and treat whatever it is that we may be going through. And we do this because we trust their knowledge. We trust their experience, which should ultimately lead to some good judgment on how now to treat us in light of whatever may be ailing us. To simplify it a little further, I'd imagine that All of us have probably had someone that we like to listen to or like to read simply because we believe that their wisdom upon specific topics um, are important and align to us and can teach us. Even some of the, the, the podcasts that we may listen to and the way that these people unpack the word itself, we probably enjoy it because we enjoy it based upon their knowledge and their experience. I mean, chances are you're probably listening to someone now simply because Well, not right now, obviously, so let's put that aside, but someone throughout the week that you probably listen to simply because of their wisdom that they share within their own opinions. So what do we do? We trust them. And we base our knowledge on what it is that they are now teaching us. Now, I want to tell you that in my own life, I value wisdom not only in who I listen to, other pastors I listen to, other podcasts I listen to. I value the wisdom that comes from my doctor. I value the wisdom uh, that comes from my dentist as well, especially my dentist, um, because that is not a person I like to see. So I want to make sure that I would trust them with my own children before I go trust them with my teeth. I don't know why that is. That's just how I view it. But I want you to understand that not only in my own podcast, my own doctors and dentists, but there's more remedial areas of my life that I place a lot of trust and experience as well. For example, this is me personally. 
I do not trust a bald man to cut my hair. Another example I will give you. I don't trust a skinny man in terms of barbecue. Why? No offense, brother. Not that I don't trust your ability to make barbecue, but here's the reality. When I go to get my hair cut, if it's a man who's cutting my hair, I want to know they have hair as well because they have probably styled their hair or told someone else how to style their hair. How can you do that if you are bald? You do not. Again, this is my opinion. So if you were follically challenged in the room, then may all grace be upon you. Okay? Some of you are looking around like you want to fight later. I have alerted the safety team to this specific illustration just in case. Moving on from there with with barbecue, here's the reality. Not only does it come to to hairstyles, trust men who have hair to do my hair, but here's the reality. When it comes to critical review of barbecue places, I trust the big fellas. Why? Because a big fella knows where to find good barbecue. And chances are they may know how to make it as well. You see, here's what's happening in, in my own life. I am trusting the wisdom and the experience of someone else who knows and appears to now have the experience as well as the knowledge that would hopefully lead to good judgment. Again, coming back to the definition of wisdom. Well, as we come to our text this morning, Paul himself is actually going to transition the Corinthian Christians away from placing their hope in human wisdom to now finding their hope in the wisdom revealed from knowing what we called last week as Christ crucified. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me now into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are going to begin reading in verse 6 uh, this morning. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, and you can and are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now again, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it is a wisdom of this age, or excuse me, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, for he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, as we have already seen, Paul has really been against 
wisdom, especially wisdom that is rooted in man-made knowledge. So as we look to our text, Paul is now going to turn his attention to, to teaching that there is now a wisdom that is pure. There is a wisdom that is now genuine. And so Paul says that this wisdom was revealed to us by God himself and not just something that man himself had discovered. And yet, Paul will teach that there will still be people who hear of this true wisdom and ultimately turn away from it. So if we could just sum up this entire text in one statement, not a rather simple one, but a a statement nonetheless, it would be this. God has granted believers the ability to have the wisdom of knowing him. And that wisdom was not discovered by man, but was rather revealed by God himself. So for our understanding this morning, what we are going to do is we're going to look to Paul's words and see Paul teach this very point by ultimately answering three questions about the wisdom revealed. Question number one being, what is wisdom? Question number two being, who revealed this wisdom? Question three being, and how do we now respond in light of this wisdom? Now again, these are remedial questions that I believe many of us could understand and answer simply, but let's bear in mind the audience that Paul is talking to and bear in mind how we just spent an entire chapter talking about how we should be following God versus following the wisdom and the rhetoric and the oratory skills of man. So, jumping back into our text, let's discover Paul's answers to these questions and ultimately see how the wisdom revealed to us continues to lead us to grow in our own understanding of who God is, which should lead us to grow within our own holiness itself. Look with me again at verses 6 through 9, and let's answer the first question, what is wisdom. Paul writes, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory or for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now notice how Paul opens by saying, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Paul has already told the Corinthian Christians that trusting in the wisdom of man is fleeting. Trusting in the the wisdom and the knowledge of man is futile because that wisdom and knowledge is, is simply limited. Thus, the wisdom that we now need is what was called a chapter ago, the foolish message of Christ crucified. In other words, for Paul, the wisdom that is now needed is the wisdom of the gospel itself. Now, in talking about the mature, Paul is not talking about some sort of elite force, if you will, that knows the deep secrets of faith. But rather, Paul is speaking to all believers who have heard the message of Christ crucified, who now believe in the message of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected, and now they live faithfully according to that very gospel message. You see, here's a reality that we learn just from Paul's opening statement. When we fail to live according to the gospel, then it shows a lack of maturity on our part. So brothers and sisters in Christ, a truth that we need to understand already is that wisdom is seen and discovered in the life of someone who is living according to the faith that they now claim to believe. 
Let me unpack a little bit more of what I'm talking about and simplify it. To borrow from our earlier definition of wisdom. Wisdom for the believer is found in the knowledge of the word of God. And thus the experiencing and interacting with life according to the word of God. You see, this is why one of the, mo- the best and yet most hated questions you could ever ask another believer for the sake of accountability is this. How has your time with the Lord been? I mean, think about that. How many times do we want to hear that question? Generally, this is how that question comes up. We come in and we are frustrated. We are angry. We are discouraged. And we are just just venting and, and throwing word vomit out about everything that frustrates us. And the mature believer that we are talking to, generally our spouse, let's be honest about that, will then look at us and say these words. Well, how has your time with the Lord been? In other words, they're asking, how has your time in the word of God been? You see, let me say this one more time, what I said earlier. Wisdom for the Christian is when we have knowledge of the word and we interact with the world according to the word. Now notice what happens from here. Paul's going to continue in verse 6, and he says, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Notice how Paul affirms that the wisdom of this age is again fleeting. It's a a short-lived wisdom that eventually is going to die and, and turn to ash. And so what we now live for is the wisdom that comes with the age to come because we know as believers that there is another age to come, or better yet, a better age that is coming as taught by Jesus Christ according to the word of God. And so what Paul says in this moment, he says, look, the leaders and the scholars and the authorities of this day who rely solely on their own wisdom simply don't get it. They don't get it because they don't see the crucifixion. They don't get it because they don't understand the power of the resurrection. Thus, they don't understand the wisdom in what is coming for the believer in Christ. And so that leads Paul to conclude by saying, thus they are doomed to pass away. In other words, our man-made wisdom, our own personal wisdom will not last. But notice in the text, Paul continues, He says, when it comes to wisdom, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, Paul, again, like we talked about a week ago, is literally saying in this moment that I have now revealed to you a wisdom that was hidden from you until you heard the gospel. Until you heard the message of Jesus Christ. Thus, the Corinthian Christians, through the preached message of Jesus Christ, have now heard the true wisdom revealed about Jesus Christ, who is Savior and who is Lord. And as if that wasn't enough, in order to not receive the credit, notice Paul goes one step further and he says, which God decreed before the ages. In other words, Paul acknowledges that that this wisdom that comes from knowing Christ was destined, or better yet, decreed by God before time. That's why we can go back and read verses like Romans eight, chapter uh, Romans chapter eight, verse twenty nine, where it says, "For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined." You see, Paul literally is saying here, God planned all of this 
from the very beginning. Nothing came as a surprise to God. God is the one who planned history. God is the one who also planned who. You see, this should not be a word of discouragement for us, as many people often want to take this. Rather, this should be a a word of encouragement, a word of good news for us, because the reality is that God knew us even before we had a pulse beating for him. And not only did he know us, but he had a plan for us. You see, when we understand the wisdom of God, we can no longer boast in our own intelligence since we know that the wisdom revealed solely depended upon God's sovereign determination. Thus, by God's sovereign determination, we can now see that this work was done, as Paul says, for our glory. Now again, don't mishear Paul. He's not talking about us singing our own praises or us singing our own accolades at this moment. No, rather, he's saying to us, no, listen, we are not the ones that are being praised here, but rather you need to think about it this way, that God predetermined and foreknew all of this. God had us in mind when all of this happened, and thus our eternity was clearly in his sights. In other words, our God as some would have you believe, is not someone who set a grandfather clock in motion and then simply walked away. He has been present with us in the beginning. He is present with us now. And guess what? At the end of our days or at the end of time, God will be present with us again. You see, this should lead us to praise God. Because again, even before we spoke our first words, before we gained our first piece of wisdom, and not just the wisdom that we read about in the book, but maybe the wisdom of don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't stick your hand in the cookie jar. Your mother will get upset. Don't listen to your father. He will get you in trouble. Or your older brother. He too will get you in trouble. Whatever that wisdom was, before we we gained that first piece of wisdom, by the, the wisdom and the grace of God, we get to rest in the hope of knowing that God knew us. Continuing in the text, verse 8, Paul tells us that none of the rulers of this age understood this. In other words, none of our leaders, none of our governing authorities who who rejected the wisdom of God that is now found in Christ could ever begin to understand the hope that is found in the cross and in the glorious resurrection. Thus, what they rely on is actually a limited and foolish wisdom. In fact, Paul says that if they did get it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Notice what Paul is saying in this moment. The, the, the rulers who, who scorned Jesus, the, the people who mocked Jesus, had they had known, they probably would have done none of those things. In fact, they probably would have bowed and worshipped him as Savior and Lord, if they only knew. So you see, brothers and sisters in Christ, wisdom revealed in the Word shows us that wisdom itself is the good news of Jesus Christ. Wisdom itself 
for the believer is knowing that God is the one who revealed the good news to us and we did nothing to earn it, nor did we do anything to figure it out for ourselves. In fact, Paul goes on in the text in verse 9 and explains further. By, by giving us the Old Testament, he teaches the Corinthian Christians that, that God's wisdom must be revealed to human beings by God himself. Now again, what, what Paul does here is he actually takes a, a little bit of Isaiah 64 with a little bit of Isaiah 65 and Jeremiah chapter 3 all mixed together. And so what Paul does is he shows and uses the Old Testament to show that God's wisdom was not discovered by human beings alone. But rather, the wisdom of God was revealed by God himself. Thus, as we have said before, it is God who has revealed himself to us. Therefore, we are able to read passages like 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, and affirm with John, we love because he loved us. And he loved us first. You see, this whole relationship that we have with God, this whole love that we share with God, our salvation, our wisdom, all began with God and God alone. Now, we're jumping into the second question, so let me come back and answer the question. What is wisdom? Our first question. Wisdom is the gift of God given to man before history began. And it reveals the once unknown message of Jesus Christ and the hope that we now have in him. If I could simplify that. Wisdom is God's gift of the wisdom revealed to man through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Now at this point, many have asked this question. So, if all of this is true and that God revealed his wisdom to us, then what part do I play in this story? What do I offer towards my own salvation? What, what, what do we offer as mankind towards this wisdom? Well, I'm going to answer that question the same way Martin Luther answered that question when he was asked the very same question and he said this, what did you offer? Well, you offered your sin. And your resistance. That's what you offered. We could close now in prayer, I believe. But there's two more questions we need to answer. Verses 10 through 13. Our second question, who revealed wisdom? Well, let's just read again. Verse 10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now when we have received, or excuse me, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So let's just pause right there. You see, based upon our First question, you would think that the answer to the second question, who reveals wisdom, would really be a no-brainer. But again, this was not true of a world that had been shrouded in their own pride and in their own wisdom that was now lacking truth. So Paul immediately answers the question in verse 10. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, 
even the depths of God. Notice that Paul teaches that what was once inaccessible to us has been made accessible by the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Now again, most people today have no idea how to describe the Holy Spirit. And in our passage, Paul actually teaches us simply what the Spirit does. He says it's the Holy Spirit who understands and communicates the things of God. Now notice from there, verse 11, Paul continues and he explains the understanding of the Spirit of God by using an example of human experience. Excuse me. He says this, that like us, no one can know our innermost thoughts unless they are revealed and understood. In the same way, God's thoughts are hidden from us unless God himself reveals them to us. Thus, the wisdom of God cannot be forced out of God. It has to be revealed by the spirit that is at work in us. In other words, here's the truth that we need to understand today. As believers, we cannot say that we know the deep things of God or the deep things of the universe. And we can't say that and say, I know these things because I force them from God. Why? Because you can't force that information from God. You can't force that information from God no more than you can force it from your own family. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I, by God's grace, have teenagers in my home. Very smart teenagers. Too smart for their own good. But they are wonderful. And oftentimes, they make faces at things. Generally at things that I say. And as a curious individual, I want to know what they are thinking. So what do I do as a good father? I ask them, what are you thinking? I'm going to go ahead and tell you that's a mistake. I am trying to force information that I probably don't want. And here's why. Two reasons. One, because they really may not be thinking anything. It is very possible. Sometimes we ask people the question, what are you thinking? It may be nothing. I remember Facebook used to ask the question before we posted anything, what's on your mind? Oftentimes, I just wanted to say, nothing. Thank you, Facebook, for asking. But literally, that's, that could very well be true of my teenagers. But, but the second thing could be true as well, which is this. They may be thinking something, but the reality is, I may not want to know. Be careful what it is that you ask for. Now, that is my house. So in my, my own knowledge, how can I even think for a second that I could know more or, or force more of God than what it is that God has already revealed to me? Now, here's the good news. As a father, I can make demands and then my children have to obey. Praise God for that. However, as a servant of the Lord Most High, I am never in a seat where I am making demands of the Most Holy God. I don't think that's going to pan out very well. There's, by the way, some great Old Testament books you can read to see how that panned out for others, but we'll save that for another day. Let me give you this thought, though. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and following. Notice what God says. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, can we just... 
literally sum up what Paul just told us in, in 2 Corinthians here, and then also what Isaiah 55, what God just said about himself? And, and can we learn from Job's example for a moment? Let's summarize all this. Simple statement. Here it is. God is God, and we are not. Thus, what we know is what God chooses to reveal to us. Not the other way around. Continuing in the text, verse 12, Paul tells the Corinthian Christians how they are now able to receive the wisdom revealed by God because the Holy Spirit is the only one who knows. And thus, we now know because it's that same Spirit that lives within us. You see, we have not been given the Spirit of the world. That's what Paul says. But rather, he says that we have the Spirit who is from God so that, in Paul's words, we might understand the things freely given us by God. Notice that Paul gives the the Christians, the Corinthian Christians here, assurance in the hope that we now have in knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and knowing that he is now in us and with us. Paul says, listen, the purpose of the Spirit of God is so that the believers can understand what God has granted in grace to you. You see, the Spirit himself living and dwelling within us is a reminder of the hope and the assurance that Jesus Christ redeemed us and by God's grace has now been revealed to us. Do you hear the hope that is found in the wonderful work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit? And then it gets, just gets better because here comes more good news. Verse 13, Paul says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, here's the beauty. There's there's wisdom that we do learn from this word. However, the wisdom of knowing God is due to the spirit that is at work in us. Thus, the wisdom revealed to us about Jesus Christ was not discovered by us, nor was it our own conjecture. Rather, it was the work of God within us as revealed by the spirit of God himself. Do you see the assurance that we have in God? All right, so let's answer the question. Who revealed wisdom? God. And God alone. Knowing what wisdom is, knowing who revealed this wisdom to us, that now we must now turn our attention to how we should respond to the wisdom revealed by God through Christ. So let's just answer this third question quickly. Knowing what is wisdom? Knowing who revealed the wisdom, how do we now respond? Well, verse 14 through 16 answers that question. Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now notice this, for those of us needing to feel the sense of some sort of choice in the matter, Paul gives us the choice here. He says there's the natural person and his response, and there's that of the spiritual person. So which one are you? Now again, Paul's not just giving a choice here. Rather, what I think he's doing is distinguishing the difference between the two groups and their response to this wisdom that's now been revealed. So let's just look at the two types of people that Paul actually describes here. He says, verse 14, there's this natural person. 
And Paul describes them as, as a person who does not welcome the words that come from the Holy Spirit. The natural person is the, is the unbeliever, the one who, who believes that the message of the cross is, is foolishness. Thus they are not able to understand the ways of God because the, the Holy Spirit, by God's sovereign grace, has not revealed that to them. Now, does this mean as believers in Christ that we should give up on the natural person? Does this mean that we should give up on, on those who may not know Christ? Well, the answer is a resounding no. We should not give up on them. Because the reality is you may never know when the time may come. I mean, listen, there, there are two things that we need to understand about sharing and, and the wisdom of God and thus knowing the wisdom of God. First of all is this, God's timing is always perfect. And God's will is always going to be done. Secondly, if you need something more practical, more tangible, studies have shown that at least seven people are needed to share the gospel with one person before they ever come to faith. So you never know what number you are on that list. So share the gospel, share the wisdom that has been imparted to you, and Trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. Trust the timing of God. You see, I think Paul gives us this example here because he wants us to recognize that there are people around us who are going to call our beliefs, they're going to call our faith, they're going to call our practices foolishness. They're going to wake up on a, on a, on a Sunday morning and, and see, see believers gather in churches and, and call it foolishness and say, well, that's fine. We're going to beat them to lunch anyway. And here's what Paul says. He says that they do this because they don't understand. They don't understand the wonder and the work of God because the wonder and the work of God has not been revealed to them. So what Paul says to us as believers is this. When people call you foolish for what you believe, when they call your faith archaic, when they call it ignorance, don't get angry. Don't get frustrated with them. Rather, if anything, pray for them. Pray for them knowing that the end of days is coming. And what a day that will be. Paul continues from there in verses 15 through 16, and he begins to describe the spiritual person. Now, just to kind of simplify what Paul's talking about here, he's talking about the believer. He's talking about the one who professes that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of us, seeks to live according to the word. And he says of them that they can judge all things. Now, this doesn't mean as believers, all of a sudden, we sit in a seat of judgment that's rather been designated for God. But rather what it does mean is that we can now assess and discern spiritual matters. We can assess and discern how are we now to live in light of what's happening in our world according to the very word of God. We can assess and discern the importance of, of gathering together as a body of believers for the purpose of worship. 
We can assess and, and discern our, our need for discipleship and our own growth in holiness and, and sanctification that takes place in our life. We can assess and discern our own need for grace and how God's mercies are made new every morning. And because of Jesus Christ, we now live in hope. We can assess and discern our own call to mission, our own call to evangelism, our own need to gather with like-minded believers and ultimately to know the Word of God. You see, the spiritual person understands what true wisdom is. Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. And then verse 16, we get a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40, and here's Paul's point with this statement. He asks the question, can anyone know the mind of the Lord? The answer is no. No. Can we force it? He already answered that one. No. However, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Meaning this, as believers in Jesus Christ, we know what has been revealed about Christ. We know about the hope that is to come. We know about the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Thus, as a believer, we, according to the word, by the word, can assess and evaluate reality in light of Jesus Christ. We can assess and evaluate reality in light of the word. People will say to us, this world is coming to an end. And as the spiritual person, the one who believes in Christ, we can say, no kidding. What makes you believe that? And they'll say, watch the news. And we can say, nah, I got the Bible. I know how it ends. I know what happens in the end. You see, we can see things now through the lens of what is, but more importantly, we can see life through the lens of what is to come. Thus, our hope rests in what is to come because we know that this world is not all that there is. Yes. That is wisdom. So how do we respond? That was our third question. Well, again, my prayer is that it will be like the actions and the words of the one who has hope. That we would respond like the one who has hope and knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as the, as the one who knows the true wisdom. My prayer is that we would respond like the spiritual person. So brothers and sisters in Christ, think about your own life and think about this question. When life comes at you, how do you respond? Do you respond in your own limited knowledge of what the natural world has told you? Or do you respond according to the grace and mercy that is found in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and the wisdom that has been given to us according to the word? Do we respond like the one who knows Christ? Or do we respond like the person who's placed our hope in a natural world? that is fleeting and failing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we are not always going to answer that question correctly, but thanks be to God that there is grace. So I want to leave you with a quote as I close. 
Actually, several quotes, because again, this just seems to work out. One scholar said it best this way. He said, human beings lack the innate capacity to appreciate and receive spiritual truths. Only those who have the Holy Spirit can grasp the things of the Spirit. So as Paul has just told the Corinthian Christians, knowing God is not a matter of human discovery, but rather it's a matter of divine revelation. It was the Spirit of God who revealed the deep truths to us of God. Thus again, we have nothing to brag about ourselves. We'd have no pride to take within ourselves or our own things that we forced away from the Lord because that did not happen when it comes to our own wisdom. Rather, what we know of God is what God has revealed to us. Thus, we should praise God for the fact that he is the one who has revealed himself to us. You see, through answering the question, what is wisdom? Answering the question of who revealed this wisdom to us, and then ultimately answering the question of, well, what should our response be? This news helps us to see the wisdom that's been revealed to us by God. It reminds us that God is the one who has done the work. And oh, by the way, he's not done. God is the one doing the work. And so when we come, we can come and worship him. Because God knew us first. It was God who loved us first. Leave you with one more quote. Because again, as I said a week ago, if all else fails... Close out with a quote from an old dead man. Brilliant theologian, Herman Bavink. Several of the brothers in the room have been gathering on Thursday mornings to study Herman Bavink's The Wonderful Works of God. I would encourage you to join us. I was not here this past Thursday due to sickness in the family. So sorry, brothers, I missed you. However, if you cannot be with us, please read this book. It is good. Herman Bavink says it this way. He says, in the light of knowledge of God, which he owes to Christ, the he being man, Man lets his eyes linger on nature and on history, on heaven and on earth. Then he discovers traces everywhere of that same God who he has learned to know and to worship in Christ as his Father. That is where the wisdom of God that leads us. You see, it's in Christ by the Spirit that the genuine wisdom revealed enables us to see all things through the lens of the one who created the heavens and the earth. And so my prayer today is that we would rest in the assurance and the wisdom of knowing our great God. Let's pray together. May your glory know.